Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Justice Society of America. This is episode 63, and my name is Scott Gardner, and I'm joined as always by my good pal, Michael Bailey. Um, 64? No, 63. No, we, we, we just decided. <laughs> we talked about this? Or are you just messing with me and trying to throw No, me? I thought you said, I thought you agreed with me that last no, time I no. said 62, so this should be 63. No, it's it's 64. So last time was 63. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's right, because you brought in the last I See, I'm thinking of the last time I brought one in and I made the, the 69 dudes joke, but with 62. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. So, okay, whatever. 63, 64, who cares? It's another new episode. Yay! Everyone should be excited. I am excited. Not as excited as I am for next week, when not only do I get to eat my wife's wonderful Thanksgiving dinner, but go see the Muppets. Oh, the new uh, the new Muppet movie? Yep. That looks exciting. That looks cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Get to see Lois Lane in action, too. So. Oh, is that who the, the, the female lead is in that she's the yeah. lowest lane oh yeah okay and from enchanted i still have not seen movies. that i need to i i still have not seen that. i think you'd like it uh-huh. especially the scene where uh what's his name 
James Marsden, uh, who was both Cyclops and and uh, Richard White in Superman Returns, comes out of the su- uh, out of the hole from the cartoon universe, and right behind him is this giant Superman Returns billboard. <laughs> so, somebody in that production was thinking ahead. I like that. I like that. Me too. I like the issue we have to cover today <laughs> too. Yes, it's awesome. We have no preamble, do we? We really don't. No, it's pretty much just to just to dive right in. Because I was trying to think, what have I got? Oh, you know what? I do have something. Oh, okay. And I know that you've uh, been watching this too. The JSA had a had a brief cameo in um, Young Justice. I'm trying to remember what the hell episode was that? Eh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, if you're not watching Young Justice, watch Young Justice. It's a really good show. I think you summed it up very well, Mike, in Comics Monthly Monday when you said that uh, it's a worthy successor to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I, I totally agree. Um, but I like that there have been a couple little nods and asides to the Justice Society. And then finally, there was actually like a a little cameo scene with the Justice Society in one of the, I didn't get to the see that. That's episodes. Great. I'm trying to remember what the hell one that was and what it was about, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was like a like a sepia-toned flashback. It was really cool. I, I liked it a lot. Speaking of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, tomorrow as we record this is uh, November 17th, and November 17th, 2001 was the day Justice League premiered on Cartoon Network. So it has been a decade since that show came out. Holy cow, that just made me feel really old. I I remember that was a huge deal when that went down. It it was a big event. was the the weekend before Boomerang, which is Cartoon Network's sister station, had a full weekend of Super Friends and Filmation DC stuff uh, going on, which was great. Is that and still around? Is Boomerang still on yes, the Yes, it is. It disappeared from our cable system for a little while, and then it came back. Yeah, see, I don't think we have it on our cable system. Our, our, we switched over our cable because we didn't like the first system that we had when we moved here, and I must say the new one's even worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't terrible. I don't like it at all. But, um, and then the next weekend, all through that weekend, though, that, that, that pre the preview weekend they would have ads constantly for the new justice league that was coming up and then the next weekend it hit and they had the first three episodes all as like a little mini movie and for five years off and on uh it wasn't regular really because it seemed like the seasons ran kind of irregularly you know it just got better and better and better and it evolved and they brought in more characters, and at first I was very resistant to them going to the half-hour single-episode format. But then with the characters they were using, it really made up for it. You know, where the hell are you going to see Adam Smasher and Vigilante and Shining Knight in animated yes. form fighting together? Right. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I loved the little cameos in the background and stuff, and... uh Young Justice is doing a, a very mm-hmm. similar thing to a point where I've actually had to like rewind and freeze frame stuff going, wow, who is that? You know, I mean, really, really <laughs> testing the old brain muscle, you know, to figure out who people are. So I like that sort of thing. That's a lot of fun. Well, so. speaking of JSA All Star Squadron, Zatara was in the very first episode. Mm hmm. 
um, on the same screen with Superman, which I kind of got a kick out of since they both had their first appearance in Action Comics number one. So, and I knew it was just a matter of time before Zatanna showed up, and I haven't seen any of the episodes with Zatanna, but apparently she's been there. Yep. Which kind of makes sense. I'm actually looking forward to this week's episode because they're bringing in Harm, and it's written by Peter David. And Harm was a villain he created in the early part of his Young Justice series. See, I saw your so, post about that on Facebook and wondered what you were talking about because I that, that didn't ring a bell with me. See, I've no, actually never read that series because I couldn't make it past the artwork. But I'm going to have to see if I can get over my prejudice with that and actually dive in. Because give I, it to I, your kids. I consider myself quite the Peter David fan, so I really do. Because I'm pretty sure I have a complete run of that series um, just like I say, I just I couldn't make it past the artwork and, and stick art. with it. But I'm I'm gonna have to see if I can get past that. Give it to Logan. Yeah, he's he's digging it. He's the one that actually. Uh, well, him and uh, I feel so bad that I can't ever seem to give credit where credits due. But one of my friends on Facebook, knowing that I'm a, a, a big Captain Marvel fan, posted screen caps of one of the episodes with with cap in it mm-hmm. to suck me in and between logan saying hey dad you really ought to be watching this and these screen caps i was finally like all right i gotta i gotta start watching this show and now i'm all caught up well actually i think there's one new episode out that i have not seen yet but uh other than that i'm all caught up and yeah i, I consider myself a fan now i'm really digging the show quite a bit as a matter of fact i mean it's the rare show that I can't really find anything to pick apart. And the only thing with this show so far that's kind of bugged me was the revelation, and I don't know if you want to be spoiled on this or not, so so plug your ears for a moment, but apparently Robin is Dick Grayson, and I didn't like Oh, yeah, that. And, uh, Fla- and, and that's Wally as Kid Flash. Yeah, I didn't really care. For, now that you say that, I forgot about that. I didn't really care for that either, although I've gotten used to the idea. I really thought that that was, uh, what's his name, Bart, mm-hmm. um, Impulse. But... That didn't bug me so much because I'm not I'm not terribly invested in Flash one way or the other anyway. And I could kind of see it being Wally too. But the thing with, with uh, Robin being Dick really bugged me. I mean, it bugged me a lot because that's very much um, um, Tim. You know, the, the, you know, the way he's being portrayed and everything really seemed to me like a natural progression of Tim's character from the old Batman animated series. So, yeah, it was when they revealed that he was Dick. I was kind of like, wow, really? Because also I was kind of hoping we'd see Nightwing at some time, too. So, well, I guess that could still happen if they just, you know, juggle things around and, you know, Nightwing's just a different character. You know, maybe he's Tim or maybe he's even Jason Todd or something. Yeah, I mean, It's possible. But it would just seem like an odd choice for them to make him Dick Grayson. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? What, wasn't there some weird legal thing a while back where they couldn't use Nightwing in the animated stuff? I don't remember. There was a hint at him in The Batman, that series, where right. he was voiced by Chris O'Donnell. I, um, I thought you were going to mention there was one. What was it? That's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to talk about there was there was a like a basically a silhouette of him in Damn, what was that now? That must have been toward the end of Justice League, I think. There was something going on. I think because the Batman was on the air 
um, had started up right toward the end of when Justice League Unlimited was was wrapping up. It was like in its last season or two of that show. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't use as much because after a while they couldn't use like the Joker and, and people like that because they were being licensed through the Batman show, even though they could still use Batman. And so slowly, as Justice League Unlimited went along, fewer and fewer of the Bat Universe characters were were being utilized to a point where there was one episode where it was, I remember it being a huge geek out online where people were like, holy shit, Nightwing. But it wasn't really him. It was kind of like his silhouette and it was like heavily implied that that's who he was. But they didn't really, they didn't really come out and show him because they couldn't. Legally, they couldn't Mm -hmm. use that character. And uh, so I, 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 that's what I thought you were. You were t- so he didn't show up on the Batman either. He did. He was like, you know, oh, okay. he, in fact, he was voiced by Chris O'Donnell. Oh, cool. That was kind of fun. Yeah, that. No, that's cool. And uh, well, he's been on Brave and the Bold, so you got that. Yeah. So I don't know. I um. I, I really need to catch up on Young Justice. I, I think I'm going to wait for the DVD, though, because I work better when I have all of the episodes right there and I can sit there and just go through them. So, mm-hmm. Plus, I, I work most Friday nights, so I can't fucking watch it. Do you not have a, a, a TiVo, you know, the, the DVD? We have things? to call and get it repaired. Oh. Uh... Because the whole, I, I think the whole computer died. Uh, inside the thing because we were watching TV one day and suddenly the power is still on but it's not getting anything <laughs> so I have to call and get it repaired but even then I suck at watching it so <laughs> Rachel likes watching it with me though so she she gets she gets a kick out of it and is constantly asking questions about who these people are and what their backstory is so very my, cool my standard answer is, well, this is how it works in the comics. I have no idea how it's working here. Right. That's what? funny because I find myself doing that because the kids will ask me a lot, you know, you know, who's this character, what's their deal He's or whatever. about you on the show. No, you're fine. I was just telling you that you like watching the, the comic book stuff with us. Yeah. And right now she's wearing her Supergirl pajamas. So... <laughs> so. But we got a uh, we got the second part of our JLA JSA crossover. To yes, cover, and that falls to me. And folks, I am flying blind on a rocket cycle this week, as I have no written synopsis. Oh no! So, wow, thank you. I, I, <laughs> but we are covering Justice League of America number two twenty has a November nineteen eighty three cover date has an awesome cover. Of the Earth One Johnny Thunder in his, as one of our email writers uh, said, electro light outfit. While the Thunderbolt is holding a co- glass coffin containing Black Canary and some dude in a suit. Meanwhile, our man, Red Tornado Sargon the Sorcerer, another Black Canary, Starman and the Huntress are coming at Johnny Thunder, and we got Come Closer Just to Society. And learn the true origin of the Black Canary, the new DC. There's no stopping us now. Sounds kind of like a threat. DC was bent on world domination when this thing came out. Continuing the Titanic 20th anniversary team-up. I actually got through that. 
Yay! Of the Justice League of America and Justice Society of America. This is the Doppelganger Gambit. Roy Thomas, plot and script. Chuck Patton, penciler. Romeo Tangal and Pablo Marcus, Inger, Inkers. Gene D'Angelo, colorist. Cody, letterer. Lynn, we editor. As opposed to letterer. I think from now on, this Cody guy, we should refer to him as Cody Sunchild, just to see if anybody gets it. <laughs> we open on Power Girl flying off to go beat up on the wizard and Felix Faust at Stonehenge. And she is going to go there and whoop on them or she won't be back at all. Meanwhile, Red Tornado con- continues to act completely out of character and emotional, telling her to wait. Which, surprisingly, Power Girl does. Red Tornado catches us up on what has been going on in the last issue about all the heroes of the Justice League and a trance and the villains and blah 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 when Sargon the Sorcerer steps forward and no one goes, who the hell is Sargon the Sorcerer? (laughs) Jay Garrick knows him though and reminds us that he was another Earth 2 character that migrated to Earth 1 because apparently this is a very easy thing to do. The Huntress, Power Girl, and Red Tornado ignore the fact that the Flash just vouched for this guy and go to attack him. And using his power to basically mess with anything he can touch, Sargon takes down the Huntress, blows away Red Tornado with an air conditioning unit, and freezes Power Girl in midair and manages to not cop a feel. So, he explains that he left the uh, Earth 2 for reasons of his own in 1950. And right now he is one last expatriate from Earth 2 to show you one that he brought to this rooftop for safekeeping. And that is the Earth 1 Jim Corrigan. And we even get a reference uh, to the upcoming JSA miniseries by Thomas and Ordway, which I don't... Is that the America versus the JSA, or is that that other one that we talked about that never came to fruition? I was wondering that myself. I I had assumed that it was the uh, uh, America versus the JSA only because that's the only one that you know, is in existence, but I, I kind of forgot about that one that they were supposedly working on that never materialized. So I guess that could be off the top of my head. I can't remember that subplot being in America versus the JSA, but we'll, I guess we'll be finding out pretty soon. So Sargon basically was talking with Jim Corrigan when he got whammied, but when Corrigan got whammied by the T-Bolt and now they're here and Sargon wants to join them as they go whoop up on villains across the world. Meanwhile, we are reminded how the JLA is incapacitated and all lying in separate beds, which is probably depressing everybody because Zatanna is there. Meanwhile, back into the the Limboverse, Johnny Thunder of Earth-1 is basically being a big old douchebag and lording over Starman and Black Canary. And he even goes in and has the T-Bolt explain the secret of the origin of the Black Canary standing for, uh, in front of them. Apparently, Black Canary came on the scene in 1947 and teamed up with Johnny Thunder a lot because I have no idea why. I've never quite understood why Johnny Thunder and Black Canary had such a close connection. I know he... She showed up in his uh, his title, but very soon after that, she completely took over his spot in Flash Comics and his spot on the JSA. 
apparently he had a big old crush on her and she really didn't feel the same way. In one of their adventures, the T-Bolt got hit by a lightning rod and was rendered unconscious for the first time, but managed to overcome this. What they didn't know was that a Bandesian shaman had hexed him, so the T-Bolt was only working one time out of four when Johnny called to him. Johnny tried to pal around with the JSA after this, but felt like a fifth wheel because he didn't have any special powers. And soon, Black Canary took his place. Not only that, but Dinah was also engaged to be married to Larry Lance. And and even... Oh God, I hate when women do this. Even laid this on Johnny Thunder. Please, Johnny, can't we still be friends? You know I've always liked you, but like a brother... You know what it really ought to say? It ought to say, please, Johnny, I- I- honestly, I thought you were gay. <laughs> I-, I mean, it's that bow tie and you joined the Navy. So, that's me. <laughs> so, soon after this, the JSA calls it quits. Uh, Dinah and Larry are married. Johnny Thunder was invited, but could not bring himself to enter the church because he is a bitter, bitter man. And soon, Larry and Dinah have a daughter named Dinah. Whatever. I didn't think juniors worked like that. And one day, while they were playing with her, the evil wizard shows up. And it turns out that in this September of his life, he's actually picked up some serious magic to go along with his name. And he puts a spell on little Dinah, and whenever she cries out, there's this sonic scream. So they get in contact with Johnny Thunder because the best thing to do to the guy that you kind of, you know, didn't so much screw over, but didn't was second place in, uh, in, in the race for being your husband. They ask him for help. He calls upon the Thunderbolt and the Thunderbolt takes her to another dimension. Oh, by the way, he also erased the memories of... Doing so from Dinah, Larry, and Johnny, so they they could just forget about her and think that the baby died, which is easier than wondering where the baby went. Dinah, in the presence, all like, I don't remember anything. I mean, I don't remember Larry's body being brought to you, uh, to your dimension, when he was killed by Aquarius. And just when the Thunderbolt is going to explain everything, we get a we get the Earth One Johnny Thunder saying, "No, I want to see what's going on in the rest of the world." So we see a scene where the Flash and Our Man take on Chrono, Chrono. That is Chronos, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's Chronos. And the Fiddler, and the Fiddler starts making them dance and dance and dance, <laughs> basically because they called him fat. Then we jump to Egypt and the Pyramid of Cheops, where the very mismatched, mismatched Huntress and Red Tornado take on the Icicle, and. Dr. Alchemy, who is very insulting towards Red Tornado and says that he's not worth his Philosopher's Stone, and they are soon defeated. And then we cut to Stonehenge, where Sargon the Sorcerer and Power Girl are fighting against Felix Faust and the Wizard, and much like their comrades in the JSA, they get defeated mainly because, well, the Wizard has Power Girl punch Sargon the Sorcerer in the face. And it doesn't kill him. So I'm guessing Sargon's a little bit invulnerable too. Because that's the only reason I can think that his, that she didn't freaking pulp his head when she punched him. <laughs> so, Johnny Thunder of Earth-1 is very happy about this. 
but has had enough of everyone's crap and finally orders the T-Bolt to kill Starman and Black Canary. Meanwhile, the Earth-2 Johnny Thunder has been... This is kind of weird to explain. His mouth is covered by magic from the T-Bolt, but there's these little bits of the magic that have been working against that magic, and finally it breaks free. He's able to take control of the T-Bolt again. He punches the Earth-1 Johnny Thunder in the face, and soon the JLA are back on their feet. The Elongated Man and Barry Allen help out Our Man and the Jay Garrick Flash. Firestorm and Green Lantern take down uh, Dr. Alchemy and the Icicle. And Zatanna... Who is with Zatanna? Is Zatanna all by herself? The Huntress. Well, the Huntress was... Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, it's Zatanna and... Oh, it's Sargon. Yeah, but Sargon was already there. (laughs) I'm completely lost here. Hang on, let's see. Who are the original... Who are the Sargon original teams Power Girl again? Are the originals. Yeah, it's Zatanna all by herself. Is she? Where's okay. who is Our Man teamed up with? Our Man's teamed up with uh, Jay Garrick. Yeah, yeah. I guess she was all by herself. Poor Zatanna. <laughs> I'm debating whether or not to leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. And Zatanna bails out Power Girl and Sargon the Sorcerer, and Sargon even turns the Wizard to stone. So we cut back to the other dimension where the Earth-1 Johnny Thunder is imprisoned and waiting to be taken to trial. And this is when we learn the truth about the Black Canary and the Larry Lance that are in the glass coffin. Superman and the Spectre show up, and we learn from Superman that when Black Canary had been hit by the Aquarius, she was actually dying. So she was taken with the help of the T-Bolt to the other dimension where all of her memories were transferred into the body of her daughter who's been sitting there naked with long hair for a couple years, apparently. Black Canary Jr., which is the only way I can say that because she is the younger Black Canary, was taken to Earth-1 and believed that she was the Earth-2 Black Canary. And, well, this really upsets her. And she starts crying and then says, I'm sorry to turn into such a crybaby. But, you know, frankly, for me, if I had found out that I was not who I thought I was, that I was, in fact, the son of who I thought I was, and all my memories were fake, um, I'd be kind of emotional, too. What I am confused about is why she is not completely and utterly furious with Superman Mm -hmm. and Spectre for keeping this from her. But we'll talk about that later. (laughs) So the story ends with the Thunderbolt waving goodbye, Starman flying the Earth-2 Johnny Thunder, the Spectre taking the Earth-1 Johnny Thunder into custody, and Superman flying Black Canary back to the Earth, where she says that she wants to explain to Ollie what happened. And that is the end of the issue. Yay! So, notes on this one as we do have a entry on this issue in the book, The All-Star Companion, Volume 3. And if it sounds like I'm vamping, it's because... Because <laughs> you're vamping? <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good so far. Which is a lie, but okay. So there are no real notes for this issue outside of... Um, <laughs> 
There aren't. There, there's a, a note here about Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt starting out as a living, thun, living lightning bolt, and over the next two or three years evolved into a pink man-shaped being with only jagged hints of his electrical origins, as shown in a panel above. However, when Thunderbolt appeared in the JLA-JSA team-ups in the 60s throughout the 80s, he was invariably drawn in an intermediate stage that he had been a year or two in the early 40s, basically humanoid from the waist up with pure lightning shape below the non-existent belt, as in the panel that is next to him. He's been carrying baby... He's seen here carrying baby Dinah Drake into suspended animation, which she would one day return to take the place of her mother, the original Black Canary. And this is Pencils by Chuck Patton, because it's from the issue we just covered. And that's all. It's very... They don't really cover the uh, the team-ups like they cover All-Star Squadron. So... What do you got on this issue? Oh my goodness, where to start? First off, love the cover. It's awesome. Very pretty. Um, I love the opening splash. Uh, Power Girl looks awesome right there. Plus, I can see down her shirt. That's always a plus. Um, page two. Hey, what? we did end up talking about poop. <laughs> Why the hell do they attack Sargon the Sorcerer? For one thing, dude's got to be like 80 by now, right? <laughs> and he's a friggin' magician. Come on. I mean, you know, the entire team attacks him. I mean, Power Girl alone could knock this guy into the middle of next week. You know, it, it just it seems a little lopsided. Plus, did not Jay, uh, Jay Garrick just finish saying, hey, he's he's one of us. And they immediately beset the guy. It's like, what the hell? Um I love this. This is this is possibly my favorite note for the entire issue. Page three, panel one. Sargon uses his magical powers to turn on one of those air vent things that you see on top of buildings, and it starts whirling so fast that it actually knocks uh, Red Tornado out of the air. What does Red Tornado say? Hey, unfair! That wind! I'm thinking... Are you not the biggest friggin' hypocrite superhero there has ever been? This, this is his total shtick. This is what Red Tornado does. So now it's being done to him, and he calls, hey, unfair. It's it's the stupidest shit. Red Tornado is just completely mischaracterized yes. throughout this yes. entire issue. I completely agree with you. Yes, Um yeah, sadly, he was he was one of the few missteps I felt in, in this story as far as characterization. He just does not feel at all like himself. He certainly does not feel like the unemotional, logical, Spock-like android that we're supposed to believe that he is, especially when he says stuff like, hey, unfair. <laughs> um, page four, panel three. How exactly is Firestorm's pillow not bursting into flames? I mean, Firestorm, the entire top of his head is missing, and he has nuclear fire that shoots out of it. Uh, we've been through this before, like when he was frozen in that block of ice way back in the uh, Dark Side crossover story, mm -hmm. yet the flame was still in evidence inside the ice. He got it was the frozen flame. <laughs> yeah, right. He got the same thing going on here. You've got all the uh, Justice Leaguers are in their little beds, and then Firestorm, his head is actually laying on the pillow. I mean, what is this, like asbestos pillow or something? So now, great, he's got head cancer. Great, awesome. Um, <laughs> let's see what else we got. Page four, uh, panel two. 
you've got um where's here you got the flash he says uh this is no time for hurt feelings young lady while six baddies are playing keepsies blah 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 and i'm thinking keepsies is that something that Jake Eric would say that just seems kind of I don't know it seems like an odd thing for him to say keys. Um, let's see. I love pouting uh, Red Tornado on panel one of page four, where they all decide to split up and everything, and he's thinking to himself, "I still think we should have had a conference first. <laughs> that was one of my notes too. Like, really, ready? I, okay, whatever. He is he's pouty? I love it. Um. Let's see. What else? Oh, I love this one. Okay. You know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I'll play one on a podcast. You know, I happen to live in the lightning capital of the world, you know, near Orlando, Florida. And uh, I'm pretty friggin' sure that this is not how a lightning rod works. Just because a lightning rod happens to fall out of the sky and hit the lightning bolt, I don't think that that would ground the lightning bolt. Plus... Come on, he's he's not a real like lightning bolt. He's a, a living magical entity. This is just I realize that this is a flashback to a golden age story, and golden age stories just didn't have to make any fucking sense whatsoever. But still, you know, you can only stretch my credibility so far. You know what I mean? Um jumping way, way, way ahead. Got page 15. Good lord. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't have much in the middle there. Um, page 15. What do I got? Panel four. Yeah, you've got the icicle and what's this dude's name? Dr. Alchemy? Yes. And they have just taken out the Huntress and the Red Tornado. Dr. Alchemy immediately forgets who it was he was just fighting. He says, and to increase our chances, I'll change Black Canary and Red Tornado to stone. And he continues on. <laughs> his, Dude, that's not Black Canary. That's the Huntress. You just said it like a panel ago. So, like yeah. That, like I, I've got a philosopher stone. You can't expect me to remember everything. Right. Jackass. <laughs> um, page 17. Let's see here. Page 17. Panel one, I just love this little piece of dialogue here where uh, Power Girl thinks that she's confronting the wizard. And she says, all you did was delay the inevitable, Wiz, and overcome my inhibitions about knocking you clear into the next team up. I thought that was a nice <laughs> I like that a lot. That's actually very funny. Um, page 17, panel four. Another nice piece of dialogue where uh, after taking out Power Girl and Sargon the Sorcerer, the Wizard and Felix Faust, in classic team-up style, immediately start to bicker amongst themselves. And Felix Faust at one point says, without my superior magic, you couldn't have pulled off a cardigan sweater, let alone a triumph like this. And that's another really clever piece of dialogue. I like that one. Um, right at the very end of the story here, the uh, the last two pages here, we get... Pages 23 and 24. Page 23, you got Superman. You got a naked woman. And then on the last panel of the book, you got Superman, and he's got the hot girl, and it totally looks like they're going off to make Kryptonian monkey love. So I'm just thinking that more comics really should feature Superman and a naked woman at the conclusion, and I would just buy that many more of them. You know what I mean? All's well that ends well. Do you think Superman ever brings, like, red kryptonite to bed just to see how freaky things can get? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. With all this- I mean, they're going to make the Ronto with two backs, but the <laughs> there you go. <laughs> With all this uh, people transferring from Earth 1 to Earth 2, does that make people like, say, uh, Sargon the Sorcerer and Red Tornado and Black Canary, does that make them illegal aliens? Yes, but I'm sure that the they were able to come up with fake identification and... You know, what I what what I'm upset is that they're taking the jobs that superheroes of Earth One um, <laughs> could have fulfilled, and 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 that's that's why they need to be sent back. We need someone patrolling the transmatter cube at all times. There you go. Um, you know, given how this story goes and and what they did to Black Canary and everything, I mean, it, it really is pretty twisted when you stop and think about it. Looking back at, you know, and and reading this, um, I guess in a righteous world, uh, what was the name of that story? Identity Crisis Mm -hmm. shouldn't piss me off the way that it does, because there is something of of a precedent set here for these superheroes in the Justice League doing some pretty messed up shit to their so called friends, you know? Um, Oh, did you hear that uh, DC recently brought back and updated The Fiddler? Okay, I feel like I'm being set up for something, but no. Yeah, he drives an ice cream truck now, and he's called the Kitty Fiddler. Oh, God. I I fell for it. (laughs) And my very last note. I love how the story wraps up. And like you say, Black Canary doesn't really seem upset too much about this. And she certainly doesn't seem all pissed off and everything. I really think that they could have stretched this into a, uh, you know, a three-parter with having it pretty much end where it ends here with, uh, I think it's Superman that says something to the effect of, you know, we really thought that this was the best solution for you. And I think the book should end on a cliffhanger with her going, uh, how? <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a pretty messed up thing. I'm I'm, uh, I'm Superman. Um, <laughs> what what else I mean, do you need? I I just I find it deeply disturbing that they basically supplanted the identity of this child with the identity of the mother. I mean, totally wiping out the the child in the process you know what i mean the child didn't have much of a personality to begin with she had spent you know like 19 20 years um you know sitting in limbo being naked and her hair growing right (laughs) i've I've got nothing else to what she was doing she they find her and she's naked so right well yeah that's pretty much how it looks here that you know the the thunderbolt takes her away and locks her up in the Thunderbolt dimension to grow up pretty much mindless until they figure out a way to put the original Black Canary's mind and personality and everything into her daughter. And I just, I don't know. I just find that really bizarre. And I mean, was was this honestly the the best solution that they could come up with? I mean, I mean, it, it, it's it's not a solution that really holds up under under close scrutiny because basically what they're suggesting here is that 
the Black Canary that's been running around the DC Universe since the Silver Age is actually the daughter of the original Black Canary. Which in and of itself isn't a bad idea. But then you start thinking about the fact that she doesn't... That all of her memories are of her mother. And that means, in a kind of a sick and twisted way, she's got the hots for her dad. Mm-hmm. And who the hell was the Larry Lance that... Oh, yeah, he was the original Larry Lance because... Yeah, okay, I, I, I was about to make a cr- critical error there, uh, but uh, thankfully I was able to rebound. But really and truly, the only memories that are her own are when she came to Earth-1 and hooked up with Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. And, and here's a bigger question. And I guess maybe it's the magic of the Thunderbolt and the Spectre. Why is no one looking at her going, Damn, you look good! You look like you're in your early 20s, Dinah. What's your secret? What kind of moisturizer are you using? Because really, when you think about it, she was a young woman in 1947. So let's say, for the sake of argument, that in 1947, Dinah uh, Lance was... No, Dinah Drake, right? And Larry Lance? Right, that's right. Okay. Um, Let's say she was 25. So that means in 55, she was 35. And in 65, she was 45. So she was hooking up with Green Arrow when she was 45 years old. And I guess this is why they did this story, is to fix something like that. But really, no one no one thought to point out, hey, dude, she's like, you know, old enough to kind of be your mom. You know, if your mom got knocked up at an early age. So, well, this is where that thing with <laughs> with the the Justice Society members not aging after a particular point, that's where that sort of thing starts to break down because you know, you've you've got certain members like Jay Garrick who were drawn over time to start looking progressively older, but then you had other members that didn't. And so it became this weird limbo state of they they were all of undefinable ages. But honestly, even at this point in 1983, by this point, if, you know, working out the math on some of these characters, you know, because I, I think there's a tendency to look at some of these characters and go, well, you know, it could kind of sort of maybe work if, you know, they went into action and they were, you know, 19 to 21 years old, something like that, when they first took on their identities in the 40s. But no, I mean, a lot of these guys were, you know, if you go back and look at the original origin stories, I'm led to believe, at least with some of them, that they had to be up there in years. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, they weren't, you know, 40-ish, but some of them had to be, like, in their late 20s, maybe even uh, early to mid-30s when they well, went Jay into Garrick action. Well, was in college. Um, Alan Scott was an engineer, so he was probably in his mid-20s. Al Pratt was in college when he became... Uh, freaking Ted Grant was an adult and a boxer, so he right. was probably almost pushing... You know, late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonder Woman's immortal, so that doesn't matter. Uh, who are the other ones? Uh, Rex Tyler had his own company, so he was probably you know mid twenties, late you know early thirties. So yeah, these guys are kind of some of these guys are up there, mm-hmm. but and it's a story we're going to be covering um, sometime down the road uh, about how the JSA managed to stay so young. Right. In All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3. But that doesn't really excuse Dinah because she wasn't part of that adventure. 
Ah. Well, but then again, I mean, that's how they explained it with their wives eventually, too, was that not only did... Now, you're saying that that, that that annual, that's the first time that that was addressed? Yes. Oh, okay. See, I thought that story was much older than that. You're, you're talking about the thing with Ian Carkle and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that that's where that, that orig, uh, originated where from. where Roy Thomas tied it all up. Ah, okay. See, I thought that was a much older explanation. I, I thought that went back to, like, something way, way, way back in... The earliest uh, J, uh, Justice League JSA crossovers. Interesting, interesting. But you know, I, I know that over time I've read—I don't know if it was in Who's Who or whatever—but like, say, like Jay Garrick's wife, for example, more than likely was not there in these Ian Carkle adventures. Yet, because Jay Garrick soaked up whatever the funky radiation was or whatever, then he also emits it. So, like, the people around him. You know his spouse, I guess, doesn't really age in real time. It, it was a, it was kind of a wonky bullshit explanation that kind of sort of works and kind of sort of doesn't. So, I guess, you know, if Black Canary spends most of her time hanging out with the Justice Society, then she got a good dosing of the uh, of the particles too, and that's why she didn't age. I'm but sure that doesn't really, <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't really add up either because then once she moves over to Earth One, how does that work? I'm not going to sit here and make fun of the explanation because there was a problem. No, no, no. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just it. saying that you know it, it doesn't hold up. As you said, it doesn't hold up under close scrutiny. <laughs> um, my notes are like you. I liked the splash page, especially Power Girl. I think Chuck Patton draws a really nice Power Girl. Um, I and again, like you, and then, like I said during the synopsis, what what the hell? Why are you attacking Sargon? <laughs> I guess it's just an excuse to show off his powers. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I don't. I don't really care at this point. Um, you say that uh, red tornado at the top of page four is all pouty. I say the thunderbolt at the bottom of page four has a really pouty face on too. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be here. Uh, <laughs> I really liked the retelling of Black Canary's origin and how she and Johnny Thunder were teammates. He had a thing for her. She ended up getting married. It ended up making him kind of bitter. She throws out the we can just be friends line, which always works. It also kind of lines up how she took her place into the Justice Society uh, when Johnny Thunder left. Uh, Page 7, the middle panel. Okay. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try not to get accused of being homophobic, because I'm not. But in that middle panel, you have, like, the JSA with Black Canary as a member. And you've got Jay Garrick, Black Canary, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Dr. Midnight. And they're all arm in arm. And Jay Garrick and Alan Scott are eyeing Black Canary like they're about to have a, a ring sandwich. And Wonder Woman's kind of looking at Dr. Midnight. And he's pretending to look at her like, oh yeah, something's about, a ha- about to happen. Meanwhile, to the left, Hawkman is uncomfortably holding on to the Atom. <laughs> who looks like he's trying to get away. I'm sorry, that's what it looks like to me. Like, get over here, young man. Or don't you remember when it was revealed in the James Robinson Starman series that they'd had an affair? (laughs) Wow. See, you reminded me of the one with Starman and Black Canary last episode that I'd totally forgotten, and apparently you forgot about the one with Hawkman (laughs) and the Atoms. Yeah, you know why I forgot about that one? 
because it never happened. <laughs> so, um, I like the use of the wizard mainly because it seems like after the JSA call it quits, the wizard is at the bottom of a lot of shenanigans on Earth too, because he's the reason why mm-hmm. Superman forgot who he was, and that led to Clark Kent and. Uh, Lois Lane getting married, which is why it drives me absolutely nuts when modern creators try to retell how the Earth 2 Clark and Lois got married. That, you know, it was this, you know, he proposed to her on the roof of the Daily Planet building with a diamond he made himself. It's like, no, it was really awesome because she fell in love with Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to stay married. Do you guys not read these issues, or do you just (laughs) like the idea of it? Because it's like an infinite crisis with Power Girl's convenient forgetting of how much she freaking hated her cousin Mm -hmm. through most of her existence in the 70s, and now it's like, but we had Thanksgiving together, and I stayed in the spare bedroom, and I love you guys. It's like, I think you're just so happy you remember who you are that you're glossing over a lot. Right. (laughs) Um... On its face, the first part of this whole thing is actually kind of cool, and it's got a very fairy tale uh, aspect to it of an evil magic user coming and messing with the kid, so the kid's got to be taken off. Holy shit, she's Harry Potter. I hadn't even realized that. Or Rapunzel. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, who was another that was taken off? Um... There's Rapunzel... There was something with Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah. Yeah, so so it's got a very mythic feel to it. And I do like, and I hope I explained it well enough in my supposed synopsis, <laughs> you know, of the of the Thunderbolt taking him, her off to the suspended animation land and then making them forget. I mean, that's kind of heartbreaking. And then we get through the team-ups, and these scenes are necessary, and they're actually a lot of fun. They're easy to gloss over in a synopsis by saying, you know, Flash and Hour Man fight Kronos and the Fiddler. Uh, the character bits are good, as you say. I like the fact that they keep pointing out that the Fiddler is pudgy. Mm-hmm. And what does he say? Uh, where is that line? Oh, man. The ravages of time affect us all, as my good friend Kronos would say. Mm-hmm. And I could not, for the life of me... Uh, remember the line from Malcolm McDowell in Generations that time is the whatever that burns. So, right. What is that line? Damn. I hate time is the fire in which we burn. Yo, but he also yeah. says the, the line of uh, about it being a predator that stalks us all our lives. I, I always like that part of the movie. I, I like uh, Malcolm McDowell in that movie. I think he's really good. I, I think Generations gets a low, uh, gets a bad rap. But I do, that's too. A discu- that's a discussion for another time. Um, I like the fact that Red Tornado is the one on page 11, 14 to point out that Dr. Al- Alchemy is also Mr. Element. Mm-hmm. When he wore, like, the, the gas mask type outfit. I used to have the Flash issues where he went from being Mr. Element to Dr. Alchemy. But I sold them years ago. They were actually really cool to read. Silver Age Flash is actually a really enjoyable read. Uh, they're a little repetitive, so I don't suggest like sitting down and cracking through a Showcase Presents in an afternoon. But they were kind of cool and had a, had a good bit of charm to them. Uh, 
Isn't that one of the errors that's in Crisis on Infinite Earths is that Dr. Alchemy and Mr. Element are actually both in the same in the same I story? Believe, I believe it is, but you can play with time on that one right. because everything was out of whack. On the bottom of page 15, you have the uh, British soldiers. I don't know, Sergeant Major, but I don't like the looks of... I don't think the likes of us will ever flush out the two Yank blackguards out there. I suspect this is a job for the SAS, lads. So it's like... Yeah, actually, if you're going to send a gr- send any of the British military up against a couple supervillains, the baddest of the badasses of the military elite, the SAS, are the ones you want to. <laughs> um, again, how did Power Girl not kill Sargon on page 17 when she punches him in the face? Because he says, swing with all your might, Power Girl. Mm-hmm. So she's putting, you know, her considerable Kryptonian heft behind that, and it's just a katham, which is a good sound effect, by the way. Um, I continue to hate the Earth One Johnny Thunder's outfit. It's nothing against Chuck Patton. It's a very 80s outfit. I still don't like it. He looks like that one superpowers figure. Was it the Mantis or something yes. like that? Yeah. The, uh, the, the fourth world character. That's Yeah, and as, as Jose A. Rivera pointed out in an email he kind of looks like electro as well yeah so, um kind of neat to see johnny thunder knock out johnny thunder on 19 and we are reminded that this was the johnny thunder from the second jla jsa crossover who had the evil versions of the jla pretty neat little uh hmm. pretty neat little story um Throughout the entire issue, the wizard keeps going from having pupils to not having pupils, and it's kind of distracting. Because I'm really of the opinion that he should pick a side and stick with it. (laughs) But I'm like you. Basically, Superman and the Spectre and the Thunderbolt got together and decided what was best for everybody. Mm -hmm. That kind of sucks. (laughs) does kind of make Superman look like a D-bag a little bit. Arr, all of a sudden, terrible pain shooting through me. Great Krypton, I should have realized. My x-ray vision shows you have a great... Ra- I mean, that you were doused with enough of Aquarius's cosmic energy to kill you. With Larry dead, I don't care. Just let me see my child's grave one last time. Do you think she was, like, really pissed there at the end? Oh, by the way, kid's not dead. Good luck. Yes, yeah, yeah. The resolution of this is really wacky, and according to the Thunderbolt, it, this was Superman's idea because he's he's saying to him, and it's the fourth panel on page twenty-three. He says, "Yes, I think I can do what you suggest, Superman." I don't know. I I don't know that I think that this is something that Superman would actually suggest. Do you? It's hard to say. Um. Maybe. I mean, like you said, they, they they did Superman of this era had a tendency to be really out of character sometimes. That's like true. Yeah. Recent World's Finest I read where this woman who was a secretary at the Daily Planet dressed up as a supervillain to get a bunch of money because they didn't get their bonus and instead of like being kind of sympathetic and going, Man, that really sucks he's just he just delivers this lecture on how it's just like well you didn't use a real weapon this time but what about next time and now you're going to jail and what is your ki- what are your kids going to think of that you could have gotten people hurt and so <laughs> yeah so 
<sighs> so wacky ending good crossover overall not gonna really say it was a bad crossover. no i thought it was great e- yeah um it, even with the with the strangeness of the revelation of who this black canary is i still really liked this a lot mm-hmm. yeah i agree um I guess we'll be talking about the ads in this one in the in next week's episode because there was a couple of really cool kind of ads in here, especially with some old school Superman art with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know elsewhere. So, do we want to read some emails? Yeah, let's Maybe. do that. As a, well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna read some emails because we keep forgetting to play ads on this show <laughs> because we never take a break. So we're taking a break now. Deal with it. He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast. Available Thursdays at two truefreaks.libson.com. In nineteen ninety-two, the greatest hero the world has ever known died defending his city from a force of nature. That force of nature had a name. Doomsday. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis, beginning December 2011, at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com.
He said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limson.com Because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. Short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing. Badly. Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. And we are back with our first email from Jason Kelly. This is the Crisis on Multiple Earths Trades is his email subject. It says, Hey, you guys! <laughs> now I'm going to have to dig up the theme to the electric company. Yeah. The background of this. Hey, you Uh, big fans of Tales, Back to the Bins, and Views. Can't get enough of you two talking comics, especially when you go off topic and get into stuff you found in a 50 cent bins or on eBay. <laughs> All right. Woohoo! Uh, anyway, I have a question you might be able to help with. I was thinking about picking up a few volumes of DC's Crisis on Multiple Earths trades. I'm assuming you're familiar with them, seeing as you know everything. You know, it's about damn time <laughs> that someone stepped up. And spoke the truth, like Jason's doing right now. <laughs> Don't you agree? I do agree. 
But I, I must point out there, he says he uh, he has a question that he wants us to help with. Um, uh, questions are $10. If it's a stupid question, it's twice as much. <laughs> and if it's love advice, it's 50 Um he says, I would just start at volume one, but if you have an opinion or advice, please help. I know I could just go back through your episodes to see what you say on those stories, but I'm kind of a lazy dick. Please don't hold that against me. No, I will not hold your lazy dick against you. <laughs> Someone was going to say it. Might as well have been me. Uh, he says, don't stop believing. <laughs> now i got to dig up some journey. Oh, God. Um, it depends on which trade you're talking about there um there is the crisis on multiple earths trades and then there's two volumes of other team-ups um really just start with volume one and work your way up it goes in chronological order of the of the jla jsa team-ups if you want to read some of the early team-ups between the individual characters then track down the the team-ups to the two volumes of the team-up trades uh i have except for volume five all of the crisis on multiple earths trades and i have the first volume of the other one and uh i i really like having them because sometimes finding those stories uh in somewhat reasonable price i mean i've been kind of lucky lately that the stuff from the 70s has been popping up in three dollar bins for me but i doubt i'm gonna really get a good cheap copy in good condition of jla 21 and 22 Mm -hmm. unless you know of where i could i mean get one not steal like i was about to say get I don't know, because I, I don't think I have those. I might have 22, but I know I don't have the first one, the one where they're doing the seance thing and all that. I, I don't think I do. With holding hands. See, it depends on, uh, Jason, it depends on what it is that you're that you're shooting for here. I mean, if you're shooting for kind of following along with our show, then I would give a whole different set of advice. If you're just looking to um, get the crossovers, say the... Uh, the the JLA JSA annual crossover stories because that's what you're going to get from from those crisis on multiple earth stories you're going to get the annual team up stories um i i got to be honest i i mean I, and i think this has been evidenced i i think you and i both agree mike that those are really hit and miss i mean we've done some yeah. really good ones and then there's some that just plain sucked and the one that comes yes. immediately to mind is the one that should have been mega friggin awesome above all others the one that had the JLA, the JSA, and the friggin' Legion of Superheroes. How do you make that suck? And it did. It was terrible. Um, yes. So yeah, the story and art. Yes. You know. So I mean, they're very, very hit and miss. I honestly, up until the the latter ones, I really don't have fond memories of most of those team ups. I, I think most of them didn't do justice to the heroes. And it wasn't until they started to scale back the scope of those things that they kind of got better. And of course, you know, uh, getting guys like George Perez, you know, doesn't hurt. Um, but again, if you're, if you're looking more to follow along with what we're doing, um, I would say track down, I'm not sure what the name of the trade is. I think it's just simply called either justice society or justice society of America. I think it's yellow. I, I think mm-hmm. it's got a yellow yeah, the cover. The first one's yellow. Is it a Joe Staten a... cover on that? No, those are Brian Boland. Brian Boland, okay. 
And that starts where we started with the show, with all uh, reprinting All-Star Comics number 58. That's where I would start. Because I think you're going to enjoy that stuff more than than those very, very early crossovers. I mean, it, it's, it's a matter of opinion, but I, I'm just trying to um, gauge by your email exactly what you're looking for, you know, in, yeah. a, in a story. You know what I mean? So I hope that helps. Oh, I got the next one, don't I? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> All right, next one is from... Who's this from? It just says Terry. Is this Terry Foster? Yes, it is. I'm not seeing... Where are you seeing a name on this that I'm uh, not down seeing? Down towards the end of the email, sincerely, Terry Foster. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. It's buried in the... Okay, I see it now. All right, this next one is from Terry Foster, and he's commenting about episode 5253. Wish I could remember what they were about. He says, hello, Scott and Mike. He said, this is mainly about what you were talking about uh, at the end of the episode because I already forgot what I wanted to say about this story. This is my mom's dad who passed away in October 93, and all his brothers served in World War II, each in a different branch, uh, even though my mom's dad never saw battle because he got severely sick the day he was supposed to ship out. I never did ask him about the war, basically because uh, I was not interested yet, and I was nine when he passed. My dad's father was in the Navy during World War II, but since I didn't know him until I was 19 and he had a stroke that messed up his speech a few months after I met him, I recently found out that my great-grandpa uh, Gardner had a bullet in his back from World War I until he died in the early 70s. Sorry, probably not interested in my family's war history. No, actually, I, I find this kind of thing very interesting. Mm-hmm. It says, I just started listening to episode 53, and you guys are talking about how uh, bad the drivers are there. Well, if you don't like them, uh, stay away from Tulsa, Oklahoma, because they are the worst drivers I have ever seen, and I lived in California for a while. There are hardly any sidewalks, and it's uh, just not safe to walk down the street because every day you hear about someone getting ran over just because they cross the road. <laughs> Sincerely, Terry Foster. P.S. For the episode due out the week of September 9th, could you uh, maybe tra- tack on another song after the Always Remember Pearl Harbor uh, called Have You Forgotten by Daryl Worley uh, for yeah. that one episode? I know it's a modern-day song, uh, but they are both about major American disasters. Um and I don't think we did that, did we? I'm not sure no. if I've heard this song you're talking about. It's, uh, i trying to figure out how to say this. The country songs outside of Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue that came out in reaction to 9-11, on the whole, ended up annoying the hell out of me. Um, South Park did a great yeah. send-up of the Alan Jackson song, Where Are You When the World Stopped Turning? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I ha- and I hate that song mainly because in the middle of it, did it make you turn that off that violent old movie and maybe do something else instead? It's like, um, violent movies weren't the cause of 9-11. Uh, so stop interjecting how you think the world should really work into your song about a great tragedy. Have You Forgotten came out forget how long after 9-11. It was a year or so later. And I agree, you know, th- th- there's a certain amount of the, uh, of sen- of the sentiment of the song that I agree with that maybe, you know, we, we shouldn't forget. But 
just the tone of the song just bugged the crap out of me. I'm not a fan of it. Because it does kind of boil down to that South Park thing of someone singing 9-11 over and over and over right. again. Which I thought was freaking hilarious. Because maybe they actually feel strong enough to write a song about it. But it also feels a little commercial, commercial and crass. Right. You know, so that's just my opinion. You can send your hate mail you know, to me directly and leave Scott out of it. See, I, you know, I don't, I honestly don't have an opinion cause I don't know that I've heard the song. I'm, I don't know if I've ever stated this in a, in one of our shows, but uh, I'm not a fan of country music. I mean, my wife likes it and every once in a while we'll, we'll send us, you know, a song my way, you know, that she's trying to get me to listen to. And, and generally I, you know, I, I see in them what she's, you know, what she's going for, you know, the sentiment or whatever, but as a general rule, yeah, the music of the inbred is just not for my particular taste, so I just don't really get into it. So yeah, and this I, I have no idea what what this song is. But just going strictly by the title, Have You Forgotten? Um I, I'll just say this. I, I think that sadly I, I, I feel like um a lot of uh, what happened that day has largely been forgotten. I think that that was a major wake up call to this nation and i think that the vast majority of americans have simply hit the snooze button and rolled back over so anyway uh i guess we'll move on from that um the next email is from professor allen mike and scott listening to you guys in tales number 56 wonder why warner brothers has not capitalized more on their dc properties i am reminded of the many interviews i've heard or read with j michael straczynski talking about his relationship with warners in regards to his 90s tv show babylon 5 of which i am a huge fan from what jms says the organizational structure of warners is a complete zoo and departments don't talk to each other Books, TV, DVDs, movies, comics, promotions, toys. Not only do they operate independently, they compete with each other internally for resources. So there is this weird anti-incentive against working together. So the fact that DC Comics and Cartoon Network aren't working together much, well, I'm not too surprised. JMS has tried for years to for Warners to give him back the rights to do new comics or even reissue Babylon 5 paperbacks that have long gone out of print but with no luck. Star Wars and Star Trek novels have new novels come out reg- excuse me. Star Trek and Star Wars have new novels come out regularly. Obviously B5 is not the same league as those other properties, but Warners has not released a B5 novel in over a decade. Warner seems content to keep the property in limbo, neither making money off of it, not, but not willing to sell it off. That's just the way they think of their properties. And I'm afraid that the JSA might fall into that category, category soon, and it stinks. Keep up the good work on the podcast, guys. I'm a big fan. And we've got to take back some of the stuff we said, because recently a promo was released titled DC Nation, promoting this block of entertainment on Cartoon Network that is all about DC Comics that is not only going to feature, you know, Young Justice and the new Green Lantern series, but they're going to have other, like, animated and live-action shorts and little, like, news segments about DC Comics. Oh, wow, I had not heard about this. Yeah, I posted a video on Facebook uh, this week, uh, and it looks really cool. They, they, They showed animation from, like, a Batman Lego thing. Uh, they had what looks like to be the uh, footage from that Blue Beetle pilot, that live-action one they did with the... Uh, 
Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle. And like all these other kinds of little shorts, the little Teen Titan shorts, plus Young Justice and uh, Green Lantern. Hmm. So I, uh, I'm i kind of excited just to see what they do with it. And hope hopefully it will... Hopefully Cartoon Network will be to DC and Warner Brothers what Disney XD yes. is to Disney and Marvel Comics. Right. And I, I'm just hoping that's the direction they go in. But that's just my opinion. That would be cool. That would be very cool. All right, let's see here. We've got one from our good friend Jose A. Rivera. He says, on Superman and DC Films. Oh, no. (laughs) He says, hey, guys, your recent discussion about DC and Superman in episode 56 really struck a chord with me. I am and will always be a Superman fan. And in recent years, it's pained me to see how DC treats Superman. Yeah, you and me both, brother. It says, a lot of the creators do have a love for the character, but I don't feel they understand the character. Many times it seems like characters are trying to justify Superman as a, uh, like, okay, I did read that right. Like characters are trying to justify Superman as a hero as opposed to just telling good stories about him. I See, I think he meant to say creators right there. That's why I thought maybe I misread that. Uh, so many writers uh, are trying to make him irrelevant. Why? What does that say about our culture today when society as a whole can't get behind Superman? It's easier for people to believe in anti-heroes like Wolverine or dark broody heroes like Batman than to believe in a character like uh, – than to believe a Superman uh, – character like Superman is passe. I don't buy it for a minute, but I'll get back to that. As for DC needing to get on the ball with movies, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've been to quite a few of the Marvel movies, and they're good, but I can't help but sit in that theater and wonder when it will be DC's time to shine. I thought it was going to happen with Green Lantern, but that movie reeked of, quote-unquote, written by committee. The movie wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't uh, what we all hoped for. Right now, uh, DC has Superman and Batman coming out. I'm eager to see Nolan's Batman universe tie up, and I'm nervous as hell to see how Superman will come out. The last time I got excited for a Superman uh, movie, it was Superman Returns, which wasn't terrible, but more of the bad stands out than the good. DC's biggest problem seems to, uh, or the biggest problem they seem to have is that they get handcuffed by Warner Brothers. They're still living in the 90s, where the film is a commercial for the merchandise. Uh, they also are afraid to take risks. Green Lantern, while a good movie, uh, felt very safe. And even if DC were to branch off and make their own films while having uh, Warner Brothers distribute them, I still don't trust the people in charge. At the end of the day, I want to see an inspiring story of good versus evil and not what Dan Dio feels would be controversial, what Jeff Johns uh, used to read as a kid, or what Jim Lee thinks is quote-unquote cool. Amen. Damn, I love this email. He says, and it's a shame because I want to see a Flash movie. I want to see Wonder Woman. Uh, Show me what you can do with a Titans movie or the Suicide Squad. Give me Checkmate or Booster Gold. Hell, I'll take a Hawkman film at this point. (laughs) Just give me stories that represent what DC has to offer. Luke Giaconetti, I present Jose Rivera. (laughs) Jose Rivera, Luke Giaconetti. Okay, he, uh, fight! <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, no hits below the blows. I want a good, clean fight. Let's get it on! 
Uh, hey, I'll throw in there Shazam. I want to see a oh, friggin' Captain yes. Marvel movie. There was one rumored for like 20 years, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen now. But I uh, still want to say Dwayne the see Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Black Adam. That would I be think yeah, be freaking. I awesome. do too. I totally do. I really do. Um, Superman is a simple a simple story to tell. A man with the ability to help people does simply because it's the right thing to do. But, <laughs> but whether it's – what, did I read that wrong? No, I'm just laughing because on another show I do, Radio KAL Live, mm-hmm. which is an hour-long radio show Steve Eunice and I do for the Superman homepage every Monday night. We talked about this very subject and basically said the exact same thing Jose is saying right now. That's why I'm laughing. It's just like, wow, this sounds vaguely familiar. It does to me because I, I think I've said the same types of things myself. Um, that's why I'm kind of curbing my own commentary. And, mm-hmm. it's, and, and I really want to let the email speak for itself. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I do feel exactly the way he does. And I do think that there are reasons why things are the way they are. But... Um, a lot of that just it, – it, it just turns me so negative when I start talking about this stuff. So I'm really trying to rein myself in. Um, see, he continues. He said, but whether it's due to a society who can't believe that philosophy, a film studio who sees a dollar sign through the S-shield, or the people in charge who don't believe in the characters themselves, we're stuck uh, with what we're stuck with. Sometime, uh, something tells me – we're going to be uh, be seeing a lot of Lex Luthor and General Zod in these upcoming Superman films because no one is going to take the risk and try something new. I wish things were different. Um, there was a rumor of Lex Luthor in the next film, but not the first one. And I've heard mm. some rumors myself about certain villains uh, that I can't talk about on a, on a podcast, unfortunately, because it would get a friend of mine in trouble. Um, that we may be seeing some Superman villains hmm. in this one that we've never seen on film before. See, the the one part of this I did want to uh, talk about just a little bit is, you know, he says here at the end, whether it's due to a society who can't believe that philosophy, a film studio uh, seeing dollar signs, or the people in charge that don't believe in the characters themselves, I, I think what it comes down to is sort of a weird am- amalgam of the, the all three, sort of all three, but also the first and the last one. I don't think it's that society can't believe that philosophy. I think it comes down to the people in charge don't believe in the character and don't think that people can believe the philosophy. I think, and of course, this is strictly. You must understand, we're not insiders or anything. Uh, you know, I have no insight into what goes on in the mind of the people that are running DC Comics or Warner Brothers Film Division. So this is kind of you know armchair, you know, psychology on this. But I think what it comes down to is that there. I think they just don't think that. Uh, that um you know 21st century american society cuz let's face it mo- most of superman's success or failure is going to come with the american box office because he's an american institution i i don't think they have the faith that they can put out a property that is uh as sincere mm-hmm. as say superman the movie the the chris reeve superman the movie 
and have it not come off as cheesy, corny, um, campy. campy, and um, happy, dark, sleepy. Yeah, sleepy. I'm trying to think of the word Sorry. I want to use. It's um, not not kitty. Um, damn, I had the word and that just totally went out of my head. But I, I think you see what I'm going for. I, I don't think that. I don't think they have faith in that. Plus, to a certain degree, I don't. I just don't think that that's what they want to go for. I don't think they see Superman um, the same way that that the hardcore fans do. And part of that problem too is that even the hardcore fans can't seem to come to uh, a consensus on what they want to see. I've been keeping an eye, you know, quietly. I've been lurking on, you know, in forums and Facebook reading and watching what people are saying about this new super, both the new Superman film and the new Superman comics that are coming out. And I just have to be honest, it disturbs me greatly when I see people whose opinions I really respect praising this shit that's coming out. And it it really upsets me because it's like, no, you know, do you not see what a complete bastardization this is of this beloved character and it just, it really does disturb me. And I'm afraid, I'm almost afraid that this movie will come out and be huge, you know, and it, and it makes me feel, it puts me in a very uncomfortable position because I don't want the movie to come out and bomb. But at the same rate, I don't want it to come out and, and be the, the bastardization that it looks like it's shaping up to be, and then be a huge success because then that just validates everything that they're doing, you know, doing fundamental changes to the character that make him so far removed from who I feel the character should be. So yeah, I am for the most part, I've just been trying to stay the hell out of it, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm at a point where I have finally been able to a large degree to turn off that anal retentive fanboy thing of, you know, Oh my God, it's character X. You know, I'm a huge fan. I've got to see this or, or, read this or play this game or whatever, just because it's that character. I mean, I was that way for Superman for almost my entire life. I finally gotten to a point where there are Superman properties that are out there that I can kind of turn a blind eye to just because I know it's not the character I want. You know, Lois and Clark was that way. Smallville was that way. The new Superman books that are coming out are that way. And I have a nasty feel on this new movie is going to be the same way. So, and, there, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with turning an eye to an aspect of the character you don't like. You, I don't. I, I. I've never really gotten the feeling that you were saying that if other people like it, they're wrong. You just disagree with them, and it also, you know, pretty much says, you know, like what you like and don't pay attention to what you don't like and you'll be a much happier fan. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't really, you can't negate Smallville's effect on Superman. Show was on for 10 years. Right. You know, it, it was, it's responsible for bringing a large number of people into knowing who this character is. And some of them got into the comics and became fan, became fans of Superman in the comics and beyond. Some have just stuck with Smallville. Both of those are equally as valid. You can say the same thing about Lois and Clark. Um, good friend of mine from high school. His mother was a Superman fan when she was a kid. 
And after her husband passed away, uh, Ben's dad actually died three weeks after my mom died. So it was a really weird time. Um, after she kind of came out of her funk, she discovered Lois and Clark on TNT, fell in love with the character again, and started buying everything in Superman in sight. So it, it, it's the great thing about Superman as a character is that there have been enough interpretations that really, as opposed to Batman, are very similar to each other. Uh, you know, even Smallville notwithstanding, being kind of a whiny Peter Parker, uh, Clark Kent, you know, it still had Superman elements in it. Whereas Batman, when you look at the different versions of that character that have been around, they're like wildly different. I mean, you have the Nolan films on one side, you have Adam West and the serials on the other, and you have everything else in between. Whereas with Superman, there isn't that wide a gap between the different versions, at least to me. So that's the great thing about the character, is that he's fairly consistent, you know. So, I don't know where I was going with that, but I had a point <laughs> and it got lost. And I could be completely misspeaking for you, saying that you uh, don't mind that other people have a different opinion of Superman than you. You just have your opinion, and you're very strong and passionate about it. I do, and I don't. I mean, I, I as you say, you know, I, I try very hard not to not to belittle people, you know, or, or, or think ill of, of someone, you know, if you're digging the new stuff that's coming out, you know, the Grant Morrison-y stuff or anything, I, I'm trying very hard to to play nice and, and not be like, wow, you like that shit? But that is honestly how I feel. Wow, you like that shit? Because it's shit. I mean, that's just how I feel, and, you know, everybody's got their opinions. So, it, yeah, it uh, it's, it's something that I've actually grown very uncomfortable talking about, because it makes me feel a lot of the time. It's very depressing. It makes me feel like, wow, you know, n nobody sees this character the way that I do, which I know is not true because I'm constantly getting messages and things from other people that are telling me, wow, you know, I, I felt like I was the only one who felt this way. Yeah. I can't believe what they're doing to this character. So yeah, I know I'm not the only one. But it just seems like there's there's so much it, – it feels just like quiet acceptance, which is, again, you know, this kind of goes back into the, the discussion we just had about 9-11. Nobody stays pissed off about anything anymore, you know? I mean, I remember how outraged people were a few years back with the whole one more day thing with Superman. You never hear or excuse me, with Spider-Man. You never hear people talking about that anymore. Nowadays, it's like, uh, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, whether they love or they hate the new storylines. Where are the people that, that threw down the gauntlet and said, I'm never going to buy Spider-Man again until they undo this? Uh, to well, my knowledge, those people have have you know gone right back and it's. No, I, I mean, I drew the line with this Superman thing until I get my Superman back. I'm pretty much done because I'm not going to I'm not going to lay down for for these changes that that fundamentally to, to my sensibilities fundamentally change who this character is. And Grant Morrison's Superman is not my Superman. So just not interested. All righty. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's where, uh, but you know, something else I wanted to, to mention here, you know, Jose was talking about, you know, the, the DC films, I, I think part of the problem also with these films, um, well, no, I'll, I'll take a different tact. What what I'd like to see with the DC films, and I, I think that they're still years away from this, is they need to find that magic formula that Marvel has found with their films and and make it their own. You know, the Marvel films have not been slavish to continuity. They have not been slavish to the original stories of these characters. Yet they've been very successful with making these movies where you can walk out of the theater going, wow, that was Captain America or wow, that was Thor. And being being completely able to overlook the fact that, you know, if you sat down and read the origin stories from the comics, they barely resemble the same stories. Yet it's the feel you know, you really felt like, wow, that was that character that I love brought to the big screen. That was a great movie. I can't remember the last DC movie that made me feel that way. That's part of the problem with why I feel like their their movies haven't been going forward and why they they, you know, they should be on the road to Justice League the way that Marvel's on the road to the Avengers. And they're not because they haven't been able to nail the characters I mean, Superman Returns, you know, I don't hate the movie, but, you know, was it Superman? I mean, did it make me walk out of that theater going, wow, that was that was Superman? Not really, because, you know, when you throw all these goofy elements in there, like him being a deadbeat dad and a stalker and shit like that, it, 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 that wasn't Superman. It's exactly what I fear for the new Superman movie is that. You know, I'm sure it's going to be a good action-y, great special effects movie and probably have really good music and good acting and everything like that. But at the end of the day, am I going to walk out going, damn, that was Superman? I don't think so. I just don't. I don't have that much faith in the people behind it or the company behind it at this point. I mean, when they can't make me feel that way with the comics, I really don't think they're going to make me feel that way with the movies. I just don't. I mean, and part of that problem... And this is where I'm going to wrap this up because I do not want to get into another Dark Knight thing. But I think a lot of the problem with that is that they had this huge success with the Nolan Batman thing. And I think rather than looking at that as whatever it is, they've tried to adapt that whatever to the other properties and it's not working for them. I think they're going in a very Dark Knight direction with Superman and I I'll be amazed if it works for them. I just don't think it's going to. So, you know, and, and that whole dark Knight thing really mystifies me anyway, because that's one of those instances that that's probably the biggest, big, uh, biggest example I could point to and go, wow, you completely missed this character. Yet Strangely, I don't know how it works out this way. I am in the extreme minority. Everybody else seems to to point to that as, wow, look at how they, they nailed, perfectly nailed this character. I, <laughs> I strongly disagree. <laughs> You're awfully quiet, Mike. No, I'm just... <laughs> you make I, me I just, nervous I, when you get this no, quiet. No, no, no. It's not that at all. It's just... 
it's the same old discussions all over again, isn't it? Well, it's not so much that. It's just, you know, you and I are in two different places here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that you're wrong for feeling the way you do. Uh, For my own sanity, I had to make peace with things. Because I was so unhappy that I was willing to pitch away following a universe I love. And when I say following a universe, that doesn't necessarily mean reading the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about, uh, we're going to have a back to the bins coming out soon where I'm going to kind of go into my feelings on, on DC comics a little bit and how I've kind of come back to them as a universe after about a year of being away and feeling like it was my universe. And, you know, to the point where as silly as it sounds, I was in, in bed with my wife, insert, whatever joke you want to have here and looking at her and going, I'm, I'm sad. And that was really bugging me. So I had to find a way to be able to put certain anger and uh, resentment that I felt aside and kind of move forward. So it doesn't mean that I, I still don't have problems with DC. I can sit here and list a litany of problems with Morrison's Action Comics run, starting with the fact that his Alex Luthor sucks, and ending with the fact that he hasn't shown me Lois Lane yet that wasn't bitchy and like she was in the original Action Comics, as opposed to the other title where Lois Lane is this awesome character. So... And I've, I'm getting emails from female readers pissed off that Grant Morrison is doing the, what he's doing with Lois Lane. So I agree with your sentiment, and I agree with your, your, your anger towards DC, and I, I'm, just, I'm just hoping to God that... I don't really pray to God about this stuff, folks. It's just an expression, because there's other things to pray about. Um... You know, I, I, I'm hoping to God that um, that this movie makes me feel like it's a Superman film. Because you nailed right on the top of the head. My biggest problem with Superman Returns is I left that film going, did I like that? Right. And that upset me as a Superman fan. Because I wanted to leave that theater going, let's go right back in there and see that film. Mike, right. we went to a midnight showing. Shut up. We're going to make him show the film again. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle with, with the Nolan Batman films. And I get into quite a few arguments. Most recently, the other day at work, where I was explaining to somebody my problems with the Nolan Batman films. And they just kept saying, well, I like them. <laughs> but... No, I, I, I agree with a lot of your sentiments. Do not take my silence as me disagreeing with you at all. It's just, I just, uh, when people are having their say, I tend to just kind of sit back and, you know, let them have <laughs> their say. It seems rude to interrupt them. So, but I think we should uh, close with an email that is a little more positive. Um, this one is from our good friend Tom Panarese, who has the Pop Culture Affidavit blog. Uh, where comic book related, he is talking about his time as a Teen Titans fan. It says, episode 56 in your DC versus Marvel cartoons toys rant. This seemed to produce a lot of emails, Scott. <laughs> uh, 
Michael and Scott, I'm listening to episode 56 and thought I'd write in and share my frustration regarding toys and cartoons that are DC-related. I'm the parent of a four-year-old who really loves the superhero squad, and I was very happy this past year to see that there is indeed a line of DC toys that are very similar. The Fisher-Price Imagine Next line, which is specifically for those three- to five-year-olds who have outgrown the little people's toys. It's very Batman-heavy, but they also have Hawkman, The Flash, and GL, Hal Jordan, Kilowog, and Chip. There's a Chip toy out there. That's cool. I need to find that. There is a Superman figure with Crypto that I'm looking at right now because I bought it the other day. That's me, not him. Uh, But it's a pain in the ass to find in stores, which is a little disappointing because you'd think they'd have a Superman-Batman 2-pack or something. It's frustrating that I've got to search Amazon for a good deal on one because, well, damn it, if he's got every other damn hero, he should have Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. Fun fact, the Superman costume is the new one. I really wish that WB and Cartoon Network would get on the ball as well because they've done such a good job rebooting and cultivating other properties such as Scooby-Doo over the years. And we all know they can do good cartoons with DC characters, but it's like they don't want to even try. And again, that could be changing next year. So we're going to see how that goes. Anyways, great job as usual, guys. I'm loving each episode and can't wait for Infinity Incorporated and the Crisis on Infinite Earths coverage. Scott, I'll check my LCS on Wednesday for that GI combat issue. (laughs) Tom. P.S. Not only do little kids not give a crap about superhero origins or continuity, they don't even know the difference between DC and Marvel. One day I will have to sit down my son and have the talk. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard a lot of comic book fan parents telling stories of when they had to break it down for their kids about uh about the fact that it is two different worlds you know what's funny is i i never really thought about that until i started hearing these things from other parents for some strange reason um my kids segregated their heroes right from the get-go i don't know how they knew how they figured it out as quickly as they did but I can remember both of them when they were really, really little and first started getting into superheroes and they would have their battles. And because there's so few villain characters compared to the hero characters, rather than have, you know, this massive team of heroes fighting like the dark side figure, they would segregate the teams into DC and Marvel and that would be the battle. And it mm-hmm. just blew my mind that, somehow they knew you know which which were which and that's that's both really cool and it's a little scary i guess genetics scott <laughs> you're just gonna have to deal with exactly it. it's, it's like whenever i have a kid they're gonna in they're gonna innately know the difference between the two universes as well <laughs> mainly because they're gonna have two parents that are gonna explain it to them because my wife's kind of anal retentive about that kind of stuff so uh it's just i'm looking forward to that day, it's though, so I weird the talk. <laughs> the talk. <laughs> Son, it's time we had the talk. Did you do that yeah. when you were a kid? Did did you segregate your your DCs and your Marvels and? Um. Didn't really have any Marvel heroes toys. Uh, I would play a game by myself because I was a sad and pathetic, lonely child. Um where all of the heroes from DC, Marvel, Transformers, G.I. Joe, GoBots, and all that would team up against all the villains. Right. Um, but I knew there was differences between the two. 
Uh, but all I ever had really as a kid that remembers playing with my toys, I didn't get into secret wars. So I didn't get those toys. I only had the superpowers. So it was, it's not that I kept them apart on purpose. It's just, I always had a kind of an understanding that these guys are Marvel and these guys are DC and you're never going to see them together, which is very odd. See, I can, I knew the difference. I can remember having a lot of Mego adventures, you know, where it'd be like, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and Captain uh, Captain America, and then occasionally like Kirk and Spock drop by, you know, and it's like I, I guess I I must have consciously realized that Batman and Robin were never going to show up in an episode of Star Trek, but. You know, they they're did all the same size. They did show up on Scooby Doo, so you know, that was possible. I guess. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I guess that's it's just weird. I guess that's how I thought about things when I was a kid. But yeah, I, I don't remember ever really. You know, I actually think that's cool. By the way, that you would do that because they were, and and I think it's easier to do that today because your Star Wars figures, your DC figures, and your Marvel figures are all the same. All the size. same size. Yeah. So exactly. it's very easy to have DC and Marvel crossing over and some weird, bizarre dimensional rift opening and suddenly the Star Wars characters fall out and you can have Superman punching Darth Vader in the face. That's why I wish there were more intercompany crossovers. I, I was uh, looking at eBay stuff today and somebody had a lot of, uh, of comics and in there was the uh, Star Trek X-Men crossover. And, uh, you know, I, I got a kick out of that. I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest X-Men fan in the world, but there's something kind of fun about that. You know, just just the fact that somebody thought to do that. You know, it, it's such a weird, wacky thing that should, you know, in, in, in all likelihood probably should have never happened. But it's cool that it did. You know, <laughs> I wish there was more stuff like that. You know, I'd love to see... You know, Batman and Robin on you know on the old '60s Star Trek. You know, on the on the bridge of the Enterprise, talking to Captain Kirk. You know, I, I don't know how you'd pull that off, but it could happen. It, it, I think it would be fun. So I'm all for those kind of things. Alrighty, folks, um, <laughs> it's Scott's turn to do the outro. Oh, it is, isn't it? Oh, okay, vamp. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, this issue will hopefully be reprinted very in the next um, collection of JLA-JSA crossovers. I'm hoping that that line of, of books continues to be put out. Uh, I still have to pick up the fifth one. Frankly, at this point, I'm, I'm waiting till it's really cheap. But, <laughs> you know, that doesn't make me a bad person, I don't think. Um, because, you know, you're still buying it. And you're still getting it, quote-unquote, legally. <laughs> so... <laughs> I keep forgetting we're doing the live outros now. Okay, I have it in front of me now. Okay, well, that's it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Michael and myself as well as several other sad, pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this episode and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have a great, fun, and friendly community over there, and we want you to be a part of it. As always, you can send feedback to this show at 
talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And of course, Mike and I are all about the Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, if you like this show, please leave a comment on the social networking site of your choice whenever you listen to us. Won't you please? Word of mouth is still the very best way to let others know about the show, and we really appreciate your helping us to grow the listenership. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and be sure to join us again next time for the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we get the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember